Good evening. Glad you could join us tonight. Two innocent bystanders, including a teenaged boy, are the latest victims of the ongoing gun violence in the Lower Mainland. They were caught in the crossfire of a shooting in Vancouver this weekend. Grace Key joins us from the scene of the crime, Broadway and Ontario. Grace. Yeah, the road is back open now, and we have been able to get a little closer to the scene. So wanted to show you just behind me here. We're just in front of Scotia Bank, and you can see this blown-out glass, likely from one of those stray bullets. And just outside of the bank on the sidewalk lay the targeted victim in Saturday night's brazen shooting. A shootout in Vancouver's busy West Broadway leaves three people injured, including two innocent bystanders caught in the crossfire. One is a 15-year-old boy in serious condition. It happened shortly after 9.15 Saturday night near Ontario Street. A gunman opened fire targeting a 20-year-old man known to police. That man returned gunfire before collapsing on the busy sidewalk. Witnesses say a half dozen shots were heard. There's a guy uh, running down the street just uh, shooting a gun and uh, running down the sidewalk, aiming and shooting at something. I, I didn't see what. I heard six shots, uh, ran outside. I see a, a, a dark-skinned male on the ground right by the Scotia Bank. I ran up to him. There's a, a, a pistol, a revolver, uh, right next to his chest. And then, um, you know, he was, uh, he was breathing still. He was just choking on his own blood. You see blood on the side of his head. Wanted to... Uh, push his head over so he doesn't choke on his own blood but I mean uh, people were kind of worried because he had a gun on him right the man in his 20s has life-threatening injuries a stray bullet also hit a 15 year old Coquitlam boy he was driving by at the time of the shooting and was rushed to hospital in serious condition a stray bullet went through another vehicle grazing a man across the face you can see the bullet hole on the passenger headrest where he was sitting Vancouver police saying the brazen shooting is a priority for the department right now we have upwards of at least 30 officers actively working this scene and this investigation. Uh, this is a priority for the VPD. We will use all available resources necessary to investigate this crime. Evidence markers could be seen on the sidewalk where the targeted victim collapsed. The road was closed throughout the day as police combed the area searching for clues as shocked neighbors looked on. It's scary and you said it happened at like 9 p.m. There's a lot of people out on a Saturday night, and um, unfortunately someone got hurt, but hopefully this doesn't happen again around here. Now, no arrests have been made yet, and police are really reaching out to witnesses, especially those who were driving by and may have a dash cam. So again, if you were in the area uh, by Broadway and Ontario between 9 and 9.30 Saturday night, police are hoping you'd give them a call. Jeff? Thank you, Grace. That is Grace Key for us in Vancouver. Breaking news now, members of North Shore Rescue are trying to get to a missing hiker on Black Mountain in the Cypress area. The man in his 50s is unharmed but got lost and is stuck in a creek. Crews are expecting to reach him in the next hour or so. It was a frightening morning at a Nanaimo home after a violent home invasion. RCMP say multiple suspects stormed a house in the 600 block of Howard Avenue just after 7 a.m. and assaulted three men inside. One of the victims was hit several times with a bat, including strikes to his head. They are expected to recover. 
Police are now looking for the suspects who got away. Well, what we understand is it's a feud between two groups, and we also know that they left in a car, unknown direction, unknown description. The home invasion happened a short distance from yesterday's shooting at an apartment complex that left a man dead. Police say the two cases are not connected. Investigators returned to the scene today looking for more evidence. The victim has been identified as 34-year-old Troy Dax McKinnon, who was well known to police. Area residents are still shaken by what they saw Saturday morning. And I came down and uh, out on the sidewalk to see what was going on, and they were trying to uh, resuscitate the victim. And um, yeah, so it was pretty scary, pretty shaken up by it. In Kelowna, one man was killed in an early morning fire at a mobile home park. As Kimberly Davidson of Global Okanagan reports, three firefighters were also hurt as they battled smoke and flames. When he kicked on the front door, it actually folded in half and went poof. It was like it was gone. And you could see the, the air go into it immediately. And it, it, it's like it just everything was vaporizing, so to speak. It was unbelievable. It was just before 5 a.m. that Kevin Cutting called 911 before running down the road to start knocking on doors. When fire crews arrived, the front of this mobile home was already fully involved. There were some tense moments in fighting this fire when the roof collapsed, injuring three of the firefighters on scene. It's part of our family, right? So, And, um, you know, when that happens, things change. And guys, uh, you know, they work hard to get their, our guys safe, and that's what they did. The blaze moved aggressively. Nearby trees caught on fire, and it wasn't long until the mobile home was completely demolished. Mobile homes, once the fire uh, gets involved in the mobile home, it, it takes off. Uh, I, know, I know reports where uh, it was up into the ceiling space uh, again, and it traveled down through the whole uh, unit, through the ceiling space. An intense and emotional morning for neighbors in the mobile home park. I called up a dear friend, she's nine years old, and I said, I need to go to church this morning. Especially after hearing the news that a man inside the home did not escape the fire. I'm glad I went to church, but I'm, I'm very disappointed that, that he has passed away. The three injured firefighters have been released from hospital. Fire crews were able to contain the blaze to one home and no other properties were damaged. Kimberly Davidson, Global News, Kelowna. You wouldn't think something as innocuous as a misaligned manhole cover could cause a major crash. But it may have done just that this morning in Surrey. As Kristen Robinson tells us, an officer in an RCMP pickup truck drove over that manhole, then slammed into a power pole and a store. The fog combined with an open manhole sparking chaos at Castle Sewing Center in Surrey early Sunday. We were quite surprised at what we've discovered once we arrived here. This unmarked lower mainland RCMP truck was westbound on Fraser Highway when its left rear wheels dropped into the manhole, causing the officer to lose control, veer off the road and strike a hydro pole before coming to a crashing halt outside the third generation family business. So basically what happened is a, a truck hit an open manhole cover, broke its uh, drive shaft and crashed into the front of our store and then caught on fire. The fiery crash briefly knocked out power and caused fire, smoke and water damage to Castle Sewing, which has been a fixture in Surrey since 1964. Fortunately, the shop cat survived. 
He went upstairs to our studio where there's a uh, wood fireplace, um, and he hid inside the fireplace, so he was actually very smart. No one, including the RCMP officer, was hurt. Castle sewing, which started in New Westminster in 1942, needs a few stitches, and the floor model sale will be postponed to a fire sale next week. You know, you can always clean up a mess, but uh, you can't replace people. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A frightening scene at a busy strip mall in Langley this morning after two vehicles suddenly caught fire. The vehicles were parked at a mall on Fraser Highway. A driver noticed smoke coming from inside his vehicle after coming out of a store. Firefighters managed to quickly put it out before it spread to any other cars or businesses. The cause of the fire is being investigated. A group of marijuana vendors is still illegally plying their wares in the heart of downtown Vancouver. But experts in the lucrative pot industry say their time will soon be up later this year when it's finally made legal in this country. Paul Johnson reports. We have some great Kootenai outdoor marijuana for sale. Meet mountain man Mike, down from the interior with his signature high-altitude bud. One of several vendors out today at the informal and controversial Pot Bazaar near Vancouver's Robson Square. I really think the city should sell a permit and license and let us have an open-air marijuana market here. While Vancouver's mayor and police have told Global News they're well aware of what's going on here. We don't need money. Other than handing out a few tickets, they've done little about it so far. Mountain man Mike says he made $1,800 yesterday, but admits the future of Canada's black market pot economy is in doubt. Pot's going to be legal in Canada in a matter of months, but everything going on here today is totally illegal. The irony here is that a lot of these people were part of the movement that fought for legalization in the first place. They feel like they're going to be left out. I feel that we built the culture, and I feel that they're trying to lock us out of our own culture now. When Canada goes fully legal, it's only the licensed producers who will be legit. And as it stands now, those are multi-million dollar corporations that look more like pharmaceutical companies than dime bag dealers. So what's going to happen to the little guy? That actually is this, the question everyone wants to answer. Kelsey Yee is the founder of one of BC's most successful edible producers. But like the guys on Robson Street, it's not clear if her product will fit into the new landscape. I should be allowed to be legal. I should be able to take this product and deliver it to who needs it. But however Canada's new law gets enforced, one thing working against the Robson scene is this. It gives me headache. Downtown residents like Augustino Vono, who actually support legalization, but don't want to experience it in the form of secondhand smoke. It's not an appropriate place to establish, you know, a, uh, the selling on daily basis. Paul Johnson, Global News. A terrifying landing in Turkey. Still ahead on the news hour, a plane skids off the runway over an embankment on the Black Sea coast, and remarkably, no one is hurt. And after more than six decades in business, the final Sears stores across Canada closed their doors for good. Welcome back. A B.C. lawyer was honoured today for blowing the whistle on one of the biggest banks behind the 2008 global financial crisis. Elaine Fleischman was not on hand to personally receive this year's Wallenberg Sugihara Civil Courage Award because she is still a potential witness in ongoing litigation. 
Fleischman, who is originally from Terrace, has been nicknamed the $9 billion witness. She secretly provided the U.S. Justice Department with information about her former employer, J.P. Morgan Chase, defrauding its investors through subprime mortgages. Former B.C. Premier Ujjal Dessange, a past award winner, praised her actions. If you're morally and ethically rich, that just completes you as a nation. And I think that if you have people like Aline Fleischmann, Canadian citizens who do good work and show some courage, uh, a moral and ethical courage, uh, it just makes our society a much better place. The award is named for two men who saved thousands of Jews during the Holocaust. One of the candidates vying to be the next leader of the B.C. Liberals got an endorsement from a previous party leader. Todd Stone says Gordon Wilson is supporting his bid. Yesterday, interim leader Rich Coleman threw his support behind Mike DeYoung's candidacy. There are six candidates in the leadership race, which will be decided on February 3rd. Cirrus Canada is no more. Today was the last day for the Canadian retailer. The liquidation sales ended, and the last of its stores are now permanently closed. As Tanya Beja reports, the demise of Sears in this country is another blow to the traditional bricks-and-mortar retail industry. Shoppers snagging some last-minute deals and capturing memories before the doors close for good. We're going to miss it. I mean, that's, it's been a staple of, of Canadian shopping for a long time. Our house looks like a Sears store. We've got Kenmore stuff everywhere. So that isn't going to happen anymore. Facing years of declining sales, Sears received court approval last fall to liquidate and close its 130 stores, ending its six-decade run in Canada. It was just an accessible place to go that had everything I needed. It was cheap. But Sears failed to innovate and keep up with competitors, the brand relying heavily on nostalgia. Sears Wishbook is finally here. Its wishbook and catalog were precursors to e-commerce, but never evolved. To be honest, I'm on Amazon, but if Sears would have had an Amazon-type model, then who knows what that may have really saved them. They were oblivious to the changing needs of younger people coming along. They didn't adapt, and increasingly, it became the uh, Sears became the store of our of our mothers and our grandmothers. 12,000 Sears employees lost their jobs with the closure. The store's departure also leaves a giant retail footprint to fill. Eaton's is gone, Woodward's is gone, Sears is gone. You know, where do we go from here? It's going to have to be broken up and then rented to smaller retailers, but without an anchor, a big anchor in a shopping centre where Sears was the anchor, that's going to pose problems. As malls struggle to redefine themselves, shoppers facing the end of an era come to say farewell. It's always been a good store, and I'm going to miss them. Tanya Beja, Global News. The Canadian Figure Skating Championships wrapped up at UBC this weekend, and we now know who will be taking to the ice at the Olympics in South Korea next month. 17 skaters will be representing Team Canada and Pyeongchang, including 10-time national champion Patrick Chan, Gabrielle Daleman, Caitlin Osmond, and BC's own Larkin Osman. Three ice dance and pairs duos are also bound for South Korea, including former Olympic gold medalists Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer, and former world pairs champions Megan Duhamel and Eric Radford. Canada has qualified the largest contingent of skaters of any country.
And that's Excellent. because we have the best skaters, right? Yeah, yeah. great athletes. Exactly. That is a uh, very, very strong team mm -hmm. we have there. I think um, off the top of my head, maybe about five medal uh, possibilities, which okay. is quite a bit. And uh, great for Larkin, who's uh, probably not in that category as far as winning a medal, but just to get the experience and maybe, you know, get top ten mm -hmm. or something. She'd be she's, uh, she's from Coquitlam, right? From Coquitlam right and is uh, just 19 years old, so she's... She actually was a, a flower girl at the 2010 games here, picking the stuff up the ice. Well, it's a, it's a great progression, and uh, I was coming from the Tri-Cities today, Yvonne, and I came around the corner on Highway 1 into bright sunshine out of the fog, and it was piercing, but it was wonderful. Quite the day. <laughs> yeah, so depending on where you were across Metro Vancouver today, we managed to see some, um, some breaks, especially for eastern sections. A fog advisory still in effect for Metro Vancouver. A look at our t current tower cam shot. We're also seeing it along the eastern sections of the island and the Sunshine Coast. So expect that for the morning commute on our Monday. There is a change on the way, the return for some wet weather. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, also a fog advisory. I'll show you along the Coquihalla coming up shortly and a wind warning across the north coast. So I'll break it all down soon. All right, perfect. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Coming up, a uh, and Barry, well, we, we talked about We talked figure about figure skating. I just want to mention real quick. That there's more going on out. than figure skating? Well, there's two, a lot of big things. Canucks are on the ice right now against Minnesota. Highlights of that. And two epic NFL playoff games made up for the two duds yesterday. So fantastic finish. <laughs> so there you go. And awesome. Looking right, forward to that. No, don't, you can't cut me off anymore. There you go. Now all right. Sorry. I'm sorry, Barry. That's all right. Won't happen again, I promise. <laughs> all right. I know. Coming up, a dramatic crash in California. How those involved managed to walk away with only minor injuries. And the latest on the investigation into that false emergency missile alert that sparked panic in Hawaii. NewsHour will be right back. Good evening, I'm Kelly Meadows in the Global Traffic Center. As we take a look at the Granville Street Bridge, no delays in or out of the downtown core. However, there is an accident, Granville Street northbound at 57th Avenue, so northbound traffic is currently blocked. You will have to take an alternate route to Burrard or Cambia's alternates for now, um, or Oak Street as an alternate. Are you ready to help prevent homelessness? Buy a toque from Raising the Roof and help to prevent homelessness. Purchase your toque at RaisingTheRoof.org. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Kelly Meadows. More fallout today from a false security alert that sent hundreds of thousands of people in Hawaii into a panic on Saturday morning. Officials are still trying to figure out what exactly went wrong. We're now getting a look inside the room at the center of the mix-up. It was pandemonium in paradise after that alert was sent to phones throughout the state and broadcast on television. A missile may impact on land or sea within minutes. Shocked tourists and locals worried they were minutes away from nuclear annihilation. The hotel staff came and told my parents, seek shelter, you only have 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's hard to stay calm when you don't know what's happening. Families huddled in their closet during and after the alert went out, staying closely glued to their cell phones. People are hiding in the H3 tunnel. People are um, running to the mountains with their families. Today, members of Congress are demanding answers on why it took 38 minutes for a correction to be texted out twice the time it would take for a missile to reach Hawaii from North Korea. Those responsible for this happening need to be held accountable and making sure that this cannot, it cannot happen again. The FCC chairman called the false alert absolutely unacceptable and has launched an investigation. Yesterday, Governor David Ige took responsibility. Today is a day that most of us will never forget. And many in our community was deeply affected by this. And I'm sorry. The mistake was part of an early warning system put into place amid rising tensions between President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. 
Less than 24 hours before the false alarm, we were given an exclusive tour of the room where it was triggered because of what state officials say was the push of a wrong button. This is where the, uh, the call comes in that notifies us of a, uh, a ballistic missile launch. If a nuclear missile is launched in North Korea, that's where you're going to find out? That's right. These are state warning officers. Uh, they'll receive a call from the Pacific Command on a secure line and uh, make a decision to activate the statewide siren system. Where's the phone? It's right here behind us. Saturday morning, that phone never rang, and there never was a signal from the military to sound the alarm. But it happened anyway. And now this state and the nation are dealing with the consequences. In the aftermath of heavy of storms and heavy rainfall, 100 people had to be evacuated from a small community in New Brunswick over fears a dam would collapse. Last night, high water levels in the East Branch Dam forced residents to flee in the southern community of Musquash. Officials worried that if the dam broke, water could flood homes, wash away the highway and bridges, and endanger lives. Thankfully, today water levels dropped about 30 centimeters and residents were told they could once again go back home. At least one person has died after a 7.1 magnitude quake struck off the coast of Peru this morning. Dozens were hurt and many people are still missing after homes came crashing down. Among the hardest hit regions, coastal areas popular with tourists. A 55-year-old man was killed by a falling rock. The quake also knocked out power and sparked a tsunami warning that has since been lifted. In Turkey tonight, investigators are trying to determine how a plane ended up on the side of a cliff meters away from plunging into the Black Sea. It was a harrowing heart-racing ordeal. A Boeing 737 dangling off a cliff in northern Turkey. The jetliner's wheels stuck in the mud, its nose just feet from the sea. A baby wails as terrified passengers scramble off the plane, the flight attendant pleading with them to slow down. Outside, emergency crews secured the plane with ropes as firefighters used water hoses to cool the jet, its starboard engine breaking off and tumbling into the sea. Dazed and muddy after their frightening landing, all 168 people on board survived. The Pegasus Airlines flight took off from the capital in Ankara just after 10 last night, arriving in Trabzon on Turkey's Black Sea coast around 11.30 p.m. There was light rain and mist as the plane touched down when it skidded off the runway, nosediving down the steep cliff. Pegasus Airlines apologized for what it called a runway excursion incident. A Trabzon airport spokesman told NBC News that the plane overshot the runway, saying the incident wasn't due to a technical fault, but rather a pilot misjudgment. But authorities are still investigating exactly what went wrong. Lucy Kafanov, NBC News. A bizarre crash in California has many authorities scratching their heads after a car ended up stuck in a building more than six meters above the ground. The male driver was speeding, hit a median, and then went flying into the air, crashing into the second-story dental office. One person was rescued from the car. A second was able to escape on their own. Crews had to use a crane to remove the car from the building. It's suspected the driver may have been impaired by drugs. A heart-stopping moment caught on tape of a firefighter making a life-saving catch. Father desperately tossed his child from the third floor as his family's home burned down at an apartment complex in Atlanta earlier this month. The moment captured on a firefighter's helmet camera. Twelve people were trapped inside the building. Everyone got out safely, only suffering minor injuries. Wow. 
Yvonne has your back to work and school forecast next, plus the fog advisor and the south coast that created some eerie, spectacular scenes today. Stay with us. A day of mourning in California. Hundreds gathered to pay their respects to the victims of the deadly mudslide that slammed into Santa Barbara County last week. It comes as fears mount over the possibility of more rain and more slides in the coming days. Inside the evacuation zone this morning, a service of remembrance. This community ripped apart by rivers of mud and stone. 20 people now confirmed dead. 25-year-old Morgan Corey's name added to the toll overnight, joining her 12-year-old sister Sawyer amongst those killed in this disaster. Six days after the disaster, crews continue to search for survivors. In the rubble, a glimmer of hope. A rescue dog alerts workers to a mudlogged car. Crews dig by hand, by shovel, by machine. Discovering just a few scattered mementos. Tough for rescue crews searching through their own neighbor's properties. We're still hoping for that miracle. You know, we're getting close. We're getting close to that time where it's probably going to turn into a strictly a recovery mode. But um, you just never know. Captain Dave Zanaboni says he could use some good news. This week he found the body of a small child. I wrapped that little guy like he was my own and, and stayed with him. The boy later identified as part of the Sudadepa family. We met them taking shelter last month during the massive Thomas fire, the precursor to this deadly disaster. The boy's father also among the dead, his sister still missing. Meanwhile, residents forced out of evacuation zones are finally being allowed to pick up vital supplies. It may be months before they can move back in. We're very thankful that at least we have the opportunity to go back to, to, go back to a nice house again. This community finding a moment to pray for healing in the face of so much loss. Well, anyone who woke up early this morning in parts of the south coast couldn't escape the fog. A fog advisory was issued for Metro Vancouver, the southern Gulf Islands, the Sunshine Coast, and parts of Vancouver Island. With poor visibility, drivers and pedestrians were urged to keep an eye out for each other. But if you managed to get up a local mountain, it was a spectacular day. Our Jordan Armstrong captured these shots on Cyprus, where skiers and snowboarders enjoyed the day as the sun shone brightly above the fog line. Two totally different worlds. Von Schell <laughs> is here now and uh, more fog on the way? Yes, yeah, so we've already started to see it settle in. A few areas near the water today actually didn't manage to break out of the fog and the fog advisory is still in effect across Metro Vancouver and it'll likely lift as we get in towards the morning hours for tomorrow. Here's a shot of our tur- current tower cam shots. You can see the fog along the water. It's been very cool today. Temperatures are sitting at three degrees. Winds are calm and we are seeing visibility for many areas approaching zero or near zero. Spectacular shots, though, from the fog. If you were above, this was sent in for D. Ken's Yap. He took it. This is a shot of downtown Vancouver, and I had a tweet earlier today, and this was just on top of Burnaby Mountain. So spectacular above the fog today, but we'll still see a very similar weather picture for lower elevations tomorrow morning for your morning commute and for back to school. On the cool side today, but still around the average for this time of the year, climbing up to six degrees, a record on the Almanac, 13 set back in 1968, and a record low of minus 18 was set back in 1950. 
A few other numbers and highs across the province today. Cranbrook at minus two with flurries on and off. You'll continue to see that this evening and overnight. Williams Lake just above the freezing mark today with a high of one. Areas near Victoria, double digits in 10. And Tofino today climbing up to 12 degrees. Now we do have another weather maker that is going to push in across the province. Many areas across the south coast will see it late in the day for tomorrow. And interior sections, if you're heading along the mountain passes this evening from the Coquihalla, Merritt to Kamloops rather, we're still seeing a fog advisory in effect as well. So near zero limited visibility for the roadways. We do have some Arctic outflow winds and a wind warning in effect across the north coast, coastal sections, a northeasterly wind with up to 90 kilometers per hour start to ease off throughout the day on your Monday, but still very windy overnight leading into the morning hours. Future cast into play. Here's the next round of moisture. So it'll be a nice dry start across Metro Vancouver. We will be trapped with that fog once again. And then late by the evening hours, even closer to midnight and overnight to Tuesday is when the next round of moisture does start to push in. And it is going to be unsettled Tuesday, Wednesday, and even leading in towards our Thursday. So get out and enjoy the dry conditions for tomorrow. The piece with temperatures up to minus 10, cloud cover, more sunshine peeking through for Tuesday and Wednesday. Whitehorse will see a southeasterly wind sustained at 30 with gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour and a partly cloudy sky. Coastal sections is where we've got a wind warning. It'll fall as rain for many areas, similar inland with cooler temperatures. Caribou and central interior tomorrow will also see fog for the morning hours and then hang on to cloud cover throughout much of the day. Valley cloud for the interior sections, Columbia and Kootenai region. It's higher elevations that will start to see some nice, beautiful sunny breaks if you're in the mountains tomorrow for the Thompson Okanagan. A similar weather picture with your temperature staying at the freezing mark. Whistler will see a dry day tomorrow, but there is the risk of freezing rain by the late evening and into the overnight and then changing over to a chance of showers on Tuesday and across the island we'll see that rain pushing in for the southern and eastern sections late northern and western sections could see it as early as the morning hours we are looking at fog once again for our Monday and then showers and unsettled for Tuesday onwards Jeff all right thanks Yvonne a movement to ditch straws keeps on growing as we try to reduce the amount of plastic that pollutes the environment. And a restaurant in Kamloops is joining that campaign in hopes of setting an example to other businesses. Our report is from CFJC News. It's something most diners take for granted. Nearly every cold drink ordered at a restaurant or bar that isn't a beer almost inevitably comes with a plastic straw. But at the Noble Pig, they've changed that practice. We uh, questioned, can you recycle straws? And um, did a little bit more research and turns out that straws, um, by and large, aren't really recyclable or at least aren't easily recycled. Single-use plastic straws almost always find their way into the landfill, which is why the staff at the Noble Pig decided together to stop putting plastic straws in the drinks they serve unless customers explicitly ask for one. With the team already being behind it, I thought it was a good time to suggest doing it as a New Year's resolution. The owners were on board. They've actually were in Tofino when Tofino did their um, straw suck movement um, and rolled it out from there. According to the U.S.-based anti-straw group, the last plastic straw, 80% of all debris found in the ocean is discarded on the land. And of that material, between 80 and 90% is made from plastic. So about 10 to 20 million tons of plastic ends up in the ocean every year, which is a significant amount. It's about the size of a cruise ship. For staff at the Noble Pig, it didn't take long for the new strawless policy to get noticed. On our first table that came in, a gentleman ordered a Coke. He said, please, no straw. And we said, turn our little initiative card around. And he was blown away. And we were also really blown away that that was his New Year's resolution. 
And while that new policy has been well received by most customers, the staff understand that some people either need straws or prefer using them, which is why the restaurant plans to take this new policy one step further. Because we've cut down so much on our single-use plastic straws, we'll be bringing in biodegradable straws for the drinks and the guests that need and want them. Adam Donnelly, CFJC News. Coming up, Barry joins us as the Canucks take on the Wild. And it was a wild day in the NFL playoffs. There was a shootout between the Jags and Steelers thrilling. Unless you're a Pittsburgh fan, stay with us. Well, Blue Monday is upon us. It's a day that some call the most depressing of the year. We'll have lifestyle expert Kerry McBeth joining us with some tips on how to keep your spirits up. Have fun out there, buddy. Dozens of kids hit the ice this afternoon for the annual Canucks Autism Network Skate at Rogers Arena. Family event also featured appearances from mascots Finn and Pincus, as well as a cake made entirely of cupcakes to celebrate the organization's 10th anniversary. Canucks Autism Network started in 2008, right here at uh, GM Place at the time, with one program. And uh, now we run over 500 uh, unique programs all across BC and we help over 3,000 families. So we're really excited. Well, that looks like a lot of fun, and it flows mm -hmm. really nicely in the Barry Sports segment. Yeah, they do a lot of great work with the Autism Network for the Canucks. Mm -hmm. good, good on them. Yeah, the, uh, the other Canucks are busy yes. right now on the road. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, you know, it's been a while since the Canucks actually won two in a row, 40 days to be exact, December 2nd and 5th against the Leafs and Hurricanes. Not coincidentally, they lost Bo Horvat to injury in the Carolina game and have been tumbling ever since. But tonight in Minnesota, a chance to get a second straight win after they beat Columbus 5-2 the other night. Brandon Sutter back in the lineup. Missed 21 games with a groin injury, but Daniel Sedin scratched with back spasms. So they get one back and they lose another. Minnesota on the power play. I think this is how you draw it up. The precision passing. Jason Zucker finishes. No chance for Markstrom. Canucks playing catch-up again later. Markstrom with a nice pad save here off Charlie Coyle. And just moments after that, off the rush, it's the Swedish touch. Henrik to Alex Edler to Louis Erickson, who one times at home from the slot. First goal in six weeks for Louis, just his sixth of the year. 1-1 one, one after one. Brock Besser takes a hard fall there in a collision with uh, Ryan Suter, but he's okay. 1-1 one, one through two in Minnesota. Well, Minnesota likes its hockey, but there was a bigger game in town today. The Minnesota Vikings have had their share of heartbreak in their NFL history. They had some glory days back in the 70s with Fran Tarkenton at the helm and again in the late 90s. But they've always fallen a little short of winning the big one. Today, the Vikings look like a team of destiny after one of the most amazing finishes in NFL playoff history in their divisional playoff against the New Orleans Saints. Case Keenum and the Vikes playing indoors. Cold and snowy outside, perfect indoors. Also the site of Super Bowl 52 next month. Vikings score in their first drive, and it's Jarek McKinnon. 14-yard touchdown run. Minnesota very balanced on offense, leads 7-0. And then in the second quarter, Latavius Murray with the touchdown run reaches the ball over the goal line. 17-0 Vikings in control. The Saints just couldn't get anything going against the league's number one ranked defense. Drew Brees' pass is tipped and then picked off. Second interception of the half for Brees. Saints got nothing out of it. The Viking defense was all over Brees. Harrison Smith with the sack 
Vikes led 17-0 at the break. First time in 61 games the Saints were shut out in the first half. Third quarter, Saints need, need to make something happen, and they finally do. Late third, it's Breeze to Michael Thomas for the touchdown, and that cuts the lead to 17-7. And then after a Case Keenum interception, New Orleans gets another touchdown, same combination, Breeze to Thomas, and just like that, the Saints are back in it, down just three at 17-14. Then they blocked a Minnesota punt, and then they will take their first lead. Breeze going to the end zone, and it's Alvin Kamara with a fantastic catch for the touchdown. Saints have the lead 21-20, and Viking fans have to wonder if this is not their year again, but they respond. Case Keenum under pressure, floats one up for grabs, an incredible catch by the all-pro Adam Thielen going up and getting that one, and that sets up this Kai Forbath 52-yard field goal, and the Vikings lead 23-21, but still plenty of time for Breeze to answer back, and he does this just that, but not before this fourth down conversion clutch throw and catch to Willie Sneed to keep their season alive. So that will set up Will Lutz, 43-yard field goal. It's good. 24-23 Saints, 25 seconds left. 10 seconds left now. Pretty much the last shot for Keenum, and look at what happens. Stephon Diggs makes the catch, keeps his balance, and takes it all the way for the touchdown as time runs out. A 61-yarder are you kidding? A fantastic finish as the Vikings win it, I think, in about as dramatic fashion as possible. It ends 29-24. They're still celebrating in Minnesota. The Saints are in shock as the Vikings win it 29-24. They're off to the NFC Championship where they will play the Philadelphia Eagles. Both teams 13-3. The Vikings trying to get to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1976. That was, of course, back in the Fran Tarkenton era. In the AFC, Blake Bortles and the Jaguars, huge underdogs at Pittsburgh. Someone forgot to tell the Jags they weren't supposed to win this. Leonard Fournette scored early on fourth and goal, and then later in the first, another touchdown run, 14-0 Jags after one, and that was just the beginning. They were up 21-7, the Jag defense ball hunting. They stripped Roethlisberger. Kelvin Smith picks it up, rumbles 50 yards for the major. Jags are up 28-7, and Roethlisberger and the Steelers, who got whipped by the Jags in Pittsburgh during the regular season, have no answers. But Pittsburgh can strike quickly, and they do. Just before the half, Roethlisberger on fourth down to Martavis Bryant for a 36-yard touchdown. Pittsburgh really needed that, but they're still down 14 at the half. Second half, Steelers get off to the start they want. Roethlisberger to Le'Veon Bell, who makes a great grab in the end zone for the touchdown, 28-21, and you figure, okay, now the Steelers are coming back. But, again, the Jags, someone forgot to tell them they were supposed to fold. They apparently, too, have a dynamic offense. Blake Bortles to uh, Keelan Cole, 45-yarder inside the five, led to another four-net touchdown, 35-21. Back comes Pittsburgh. Who else but Antonio Brown, a 43-yarder from Roethlisberger. No shortage of incredible plays on this NFL playoff Sunday. A wild shootout that absolutely nobody saw coming in this one. But credit the Jags. They answered every Steeler punch 
with an uppercut of their own. Bortles to Tommy Bohannon for the 14-yard TD. 42-28, four minutes to go, but far from over. Roethlisberger, check out this play. He goes across the line of scrimmage, but has the aforethought to throw a lateral back to Le'Veon Bell. So that's an okay pass. Takes it in for the touchdown, 42-35, over two minutes to go. Two timeouts, plenty of time to kick it deep, but Mike Tomlin decides to go for the onside kick, which is horribly botched. Has to go 10 yards, it didn't. Jags recover, they kicked a field goal. It finally iced this epic game, 45-42 the final. The under-over, by the way, was 40-and-a-half. They scored 87. The under-over was obliterated by halftime. So the AFC Championship, the Patriots will be a big favorite in this one, a 12.05 start next Sunday. This is the 12th AFC title appearance for the Patriots since 2001 in their seventh straight. Yes, I think they deserve to be the favorites. Still to come, Manchester City suffers a rare defeat in the English Premiership. And the hottest team in the NHL is the Calgary Flames. They go for a seventh straight win today in Carolina. Highlights when we come back. Monday, a big fail. Certainly took us by surprise. A major driving school shuts its doors. Financial compensation is a concern. What can be done and how to recover your money. Consumer Matters, Monday on Global News Hour at 6. Welcome back. While the Calgary Flames are living up to their nickname, they are hotter than hot. Ever since their coach went on a yelling spree at a practice a couple of weeks ago, the Flames haven't lost, and they have vaulted right back into the playoff picture. They were riding a six-game win streak as they visited Carolina this afternoon. They're so hot, their players are red. Look at them. Uh, Curtis Lazar cuts to the middle, taken down, but Matt Stajan fires it in. I hope you didn't have him in the pool. That's his first of the year in his 35th game. He was due. And then later in the first, how about Johnny Goodrow? Beautiful saucer to Dougie Hamilton, who beat Scott Darling. 2-0 Calgary after one. Third period, Hamilton one more time. Pretty pass play. Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk with the service. Hamilton's now got nine. He's starting to score a lot of points on defense. Flames win their seventh straight, 4-1. They pass the Kings, move into second in the Pacific. English Premiership, Manchester City's 22-match unbeaten streak on the line at Liverpool, a wild match at Anfield, a place where City struggled. Just one league win in 37 years, if you can believe it. Tied at one, Roberto Firmino chips it over Ederson inside the post, 2-1. And then two minutes later, Mohamed Salah corrals the, corrals the ball, sends it over to Sadio Mane, who smashes it home, 3-1. And then Ederson's clearance... Knocked down by Salah, who then punishes the city keeper from distance. 4-1 Liverpool. But City weren't done yet. We know they can fill the net in a hurry. They cut it to 4-2. And then a minute into the four-minute stoppage time, Aguero into the box for Ilke Gundogan. That made it 4-3. But really, no chances after that. City finally lose their first EPL loss of the season, 4-3. Still a 15-point lead. But Liverpool have climbed to third in the standings. And Australian Open Tennis, it's Monday down there in Melbourne, and a couple of Canadians playing today, Vashik Pospisil, Denis Shapovalov, Shapovalov, Shapovalov. <laughs> you haven't, haven't pronounced That's that guy's name in it two takes, months. It takes a while. Yeah, it I takes know, a while. everyone mispronounces. Tennis name. Just in on the group. <laughs> All right, thanks, Barry. Stay with us, lots more ahead. Here's a look at your conditions on the mountains. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 186. Grouse 238, Cypress 254. Sasquatch 228. Revelstoke with the base of 181. Manning Park 133. Powder King with five new centimeters of snow and a base of 180. 
Mount Washington, 8 new centimeters of snow and a base of 133. Big White with a base of 188, Silver Star 170, Sun Peaks 140, and Apex 157. All right, Vancouver has a reputation of being a yoga loving city, as we all know, but Winnipeg is trying to put <laughs> us to shame. Dozens of yoga enthusiasts braved the frigid cold to downward dog on a frozen lake today. Organizers say the chilly 45-minute yoga session was a chance to show off the city of winter and find <laughs> new ways to stay active in the colder months. There's an extreme cold warning for Winnipeg today. <laughs> minus 20. It's going down to minus 40 tonight. Minus 40. That's... All right. You have to triple up on the yoga pants. That's uh, <laughs> minus 40, which makes it a lot more difficult to uh, move. You're not as limber. No, you're not. No, you're not as limber. I think we'll stick to the hot yoga. Yeah, hot yoga. Hot yoga if you have to go on extreme. Yeah. All right. One last look at the forecast. There's going to be fog for the morning commute for uh, school and work tomorrow, so something to keep in mind. Slow down on the roadways, and rain will be late as we get closer towards midnight. All right. Good advice. Thanks, Yvonne. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for watching, everyone. I don't own you. Have a great night. You know, no, lots. <laughs>